as I read out the words from John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, come and see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than this. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. Amen. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, a miracle birth, virgin birth. And at Easter, which the warehouse starts advertising in January, we remember Jesus dying in our place on the cross so we can be forgiven, in which we heard so wonderfully this morning. But between a supernatural birth and a miracle-filled ministry and death and resurrection is this carpenter's son, this workshop dude. This guy who's bloke who used hammers and nails. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about when his hands were nailed. I wonder if he had a little moment where he thought, man, I've put nails in my own hands at work. Anyway, it's just a fleeting thought. Uh, But what was I saying? When John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, suddenly Jesus is not just a builder's son. He's not just a builder's son. This young, adult Jewish guy, he's no longer Joseph's boy. He's God. He is God in the flesh. He's Jesus. And the very first people that Jesus meet, Andrew, we heard about Andrew, Simon, then we hear about Philip, then we hear about Nathaniel. 
And when they encounter Jesus, things start to happen. And that's what I want to look at this morning. When they encounter Jesus, things take place. They begin inviting others to meet him, come and see, come and experience, come and experience for yourself. They're renamed. Simon is now called Peter, and they start following him. And I think there's four things I just want to unpack a little bit in this morning. Firstly, Jesus is to be experienced. This Jesus, this God, he's to be experienced. He's all about encounter. You know, when I was 12, I remember encountering Jesus Christ in worship. I remember just knowing in my heart God was real in worship. We were at a youth event, and I was just singing, and suddenly my heart just began to melt, and I just tears from my eyes. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your life where you just, you just encountered with God, and there's no words to describe it. There's no way to, 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 to you know, write about it. Just something takes place. And we encounter Jesus. We encounter this living God in Jesus Christ. And I love what happens in these words. He says, when they encounter him, he says, what do you want? (laughs) These are the words from Jesus. Or one of the translations says, what are you looking for? And in John's gospel, a lot of his writing has two meanings. It has a meaning that's literal. And then it has a meaning that's kind of an analogy, a picture, a metaphor for something. What do you want? It's more than just a question of, you know, do you want something to eat or, you know, what do you want? He asks that question, and I think as readers, that's a question every person in every age of the church God has asked, Jesus has asked, what are you seeking me for? What are you seeking me for? It reaches into our very soul when we hear that question. What do you want from me? Would Jesus ask that? Benefit, favor, blessings, something else. What are we seeking God for? Proverbs 18.7 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Think of the wise men at Christmas. They came diligently to seek God, and they found Jesus. Jeremiah the prophet also says, you will seek me when you find me with, uh, you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not just a little bit, but all of your heart. So when we come up to Christmas this year, I think it's a good reminder at this first part of the story to ask, am I seeking God with all of my heart? If you've been on this Christian journey a long time, are we seeking God with all of our heart today? Do a heart check this Christmas. You know, I think in the seeking and the busyness and the schedules and the life and the kids and the church and everything else, we can often just get sidetracked from seeking God, from just being people that want to seek God and be with Him and be in His presence Jesus still asks that question today, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, and if that question makes you nervous, just it's all good because the disciples got really nervous as well. And their response, they didn't even answer the question. They just said, oh, where are you staying? Uh, where are you staying, Rabbi? <laughs> and his, that word staying actually is the word meno, uh, which is a word, it's more than just where are you lodging or where's your accommodation. It's a staying. It's about the relationship. It's a sense of God stays with us, this permanent relationship between God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and believers. It's an enduring and ongoing relationship, not a, not a hit and miss relationship. This is no Tinder, no casual affair. This is like Jesus is saying, I'm staying with you. Where are you staying? That word pops up all through John's gospel, and it's this permanence. God's with us. You know, we live in a world of short-term commitments. Amen. Like if you sign up at the moment for a new Wi-Fi or internet, you get like a pay monthly or your, all these sorts of things are very short-term based because we live in a world of convenience and everything needs to be sort of revolving around, I might change here, I might 
switch contract. Uh, I don't want to be locked in to anything too permanent long term. That's the world that we live in at the moment. By contrast, Jesus comes and he makes this permanent relationship. Jesus comes and he has this staying power that's with us. And I remember recently talking to someone that told me that they'd stayed in a job for longer than three years. And, um, and I was like, oh, that's great. And I think they were expecting me to say, wow. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, there was this, we live in this short-termness. I, I stayed there for longer than six months. It's like, no, God, like, we, we're surrounded by short-term commitments. Are we not? Like, you know, and God in His Word says, no, this is a forever thing. This is a covenant thing. This is a much longer thing. It's a permanent fixture. It's not like the Christmas tree ornaments we hang up and then we take down two weeks later. Jesus says the words, come and see. And in this little moment between his first disciples, he invites them in for hospitality. I love that Jesus, has one of his first acts with his disciples is hospitality. It's like, come and see. Come and just spend some time with me. The very ones that he came to save are the first ones he starts to serve. And uh, he, you know, in this time, you know, if you were a disciple, you would go and find out who you wanted to follow. It was on the disciples. They would choose who they would follow. And in this moment, Jesus reverses the roles, and he starts to pick out his disciples. He says, you follow me. And he starts to pick out some crazy characters to say, follow me. And he changes the story around. He rearranges things. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He just offers a hand of friendship, offers them in, brings them into his home. Uh, and into this relationship of hospitality. Bible commentators often see this moment as well as a defining point. Uh, They leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. They leave the old tradition and religious observance to now enter this new footsteps of Jesus Christ. They leave the old and they embrace the new. My um, brother-in-law, he came around to our house one night and he was in a dire state. I've probably told the story before, but he had been through two marriages. His third relationship was just going really badly, and he came around one night and he's poured out his soul. And I remember sitting with him and saying, you need, you, need to, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to ask God to help. And he couldn't say the words Jesus. In fact, it was hard for him to get the words out. But as he said those words, Jesus Christ, and as he gave his life to God, things just started to change in his life from that moment on. He, like his relationships turned around. Uh, he's now married. His, his, all these blessings in God came but it came from that moment of letting go of the old, embracing Jesus as the new. And that's true of all of us. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we let go of things and we trust God, things start to happen. So these disciples, they merely, they didn't just change their address or where they were staying for the night. No, they made their home in Jesus. They made their home there. That's where encounter happens. When we meet with Jesus, something takes place. Come and see says Jesus Christ. I think it's an adventure. You know, when we start out in this Christian life, often there's a sense of adventure. And, you know, even with baptism this morning, you remember being a Christian for the first time. Um, If you can remember that, if you remember, cast your memory back to when that happened. And the excitement you felt, the fresh fire, the sense of God and Jesus being real, and the sense of newness in, in life, this adventure that awaited. And I think as we grow older, sometimes as we mature in our faith, we can lose that sense of adventure in God, that excitement in God. That's where I think we need to have that fresh encounter regularly with Christ, that fresh encounter with Him is where it takes place. Uh, before I go on to the next point, though, just think about for a moment them sitting around the campfire with Jesus. What would you talk about if Jesus invited you into His home in that moment to have a meal? What would be the things that they discussed or that they 
Um, I wrote down a few things. I would have wrote like, why, <laughs> how's Enoch doing? What happened there? What happened? What did you make Greenland for? I mean, really? Like, what, what is that place about? All these things, you know, and you think about the things that didn't happen. He didn't rain down fire. He didn't make rocks float. He didn't heal anybody. He just spent a meal with them. This earthly Jesus spent time with these disciples. Even that is a huge lesson in our busy world. Spending time. At Christmas, we probably spend time with family. Hopefully, that's a joyous thing. But, you know, are we spending time with the people that we're discipling? Are we discipling anyone? I think even in this little lesson, there's things here that Jesus is kind of saying, come on, there's things here that I'm doing. These are the way, this is the way I work. Secondly, he gives us a new name. And we heard a little bit about that this morning from Derek, Sarah to Sarah, Abram to Abraham. And here Jesus points out Simon and he calls him Peter. But before we look at that, just for a moment, it says in the text that he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought him to Jesus. Just for a moment, close your eyes. Think of someone in your family. For Andrew, it was his brother, Simon. Who's a person in your life? Maybe it is a brother. Maybe it's a sister. Maybe it's a daughter, a parent that does not know Jesus. Think of someone right now that maybe God's just highlighting to you that you want to know, you want to bring them to Jesus. God, this morning we just, Father, we lift up these people to you. You know who they are. Lord, we pray this Christmas, Father God, for an opportunity, for the courage, for the words, God, but Lord, also for the Spirit, those moments to maybe make a call, to invite, to do something, God, to bring family in our life to Jesus Christ. We pray where there's brokenness in families, God, for your restoration. We pray healing, Lord God. We pray, God, Lord, that even in this room, the testimony would be that we've brought family to Jesus, brothers, sisters, parents, sons and daughters, cousins, Lord, we lift them up to you this morning. We pray, God, Lord, open their hearts and their eyes to you in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. Amen. You know, I just think at this time, this is the moment where Jesus, this is what he came. He came to bring salvation. But he gives this new identity. And uh, Simon Peter, as we know, goes on to play a massive part in the New Testament, right? He's the church. He's, he's, he's Peter that preaches. But really, Andrew here, his son of forgotten brother, is the one that brings him to Jesus. Without Andrew, we wouldn't have any of the cool Peter stories that we have. And I think it's just in that. There's those simple acts of obedience, simple sharing of the gospel. We don't know what that person's life may look like in Christ, but we can play a massive part in bringing people to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which that word means rock. You know, Jesus calls Simon as he is, uh, but not as he one day will be. He knows what he'll be one day. We know what Peter will be one day, but he doesn't need that right now. What he needs is just Simon, just turning up, the fisherman dude, just coming along and being there. And he looks at him, and he knows who he's going to be, but he calls him out. There's a, a quote that I want to read out from Daryl Johnson that says, God does not call the person we will one day be, day, one day be God calls the person we are right now. He goes on to say, yes, we need to be redeemed from all kinds of consequences and expressions of sin, 
Thank God that is exactly what God did in Jesus and why we celebrate Christmas. But there is a givenness in our being that is given by God. And uh, I was meant to bring one along, but think about it this way. Think of like a humble little carrot. If I had a carrot in my hand right now, you know, the carrot, it's probably a little bit grubby if I pulled it out of the dirt and you've got to brush it off. And normally you would peel your carrots. You should peel your carrots, by the way. And you peel them and you cut them and you eat them. And the carrot is very humble and it's very little. Uh, But then if you look at the picture on the screen of what the carrot may become, it looks like this. It's this, who's a carrot cake fan, by the way? We've got any carrot cake fans? Yeah, carrot cake. I'm a big fan of carrot cake. But this is, this is the enjoyment. This is the other side of the humble carrot. It's this amazing uh, piece of delicacy that we all get to eat and enjoy, and that is a real blessing to our bodies. The carrot pulled from the ground is exactly what it needs to be. But in the hands of a culinary master, it becomes a sensation, this flavor, this texture, Puts a lot of happiness on our faces when we get to eat something like that. The gospel, the Bible, the story of Scripture. You know, it's about this master, this Jesus, this God who takes these ordinary things. He takes these simple things, brushes them off out of the ground. Some of us, he probably peels as well. He does all this work, and he ends up putting us in the center of some things that are happening. The center of things. Peter found himself in the center of the gospel story in the church. But it didn't start out like that. He was just fishing with his friends. God called him into this way. He renamed him. He gave him purpose. At the end of the day, this story is not about our glory. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the glory of God. It's about all that he's done. But yet we get to pay a part in this. Yet we get renamed in it. And even if we are at the center of some of these stories, it's actually about God's glory. It's about all that he has done. You know, in our culture, labels come and go. Uh, Hardworking, diligent, faithful. On the other hand, lazy, incompetent, good for nothing. Uh, These sorts of things are labels we hear in the places we work, school, all those sorts of things. But Jesus' renaming of Simon to Peter is not so much about how great Peter will become. Because we know that he stuffs a lot of things up. Peter, when you read the story, he does a lot of things wrong. But this is about God's glory. He calls the shots. He's the one that names. He's the one that identifies. He's the one that gives us identity. He's the one that puts upon us things that he has spoken. And I think for us, we need to let him do that. If you're a believer this morning, are you okay with the identity that Christ has called you to? You may struggle with the things you feel God has called you to. And often in this walk, we want a squeaky clean uh, image or, or story of God, but we're messy people and things happen. And yes, there's consequences to sin, but God's renaming us. When he does that, he takes the, this is all you'll ever be. And he says, this is who you are in me. This is who you are in me. I just feel there's someone, maybe this morning, you need to hear those words. This is who you are in me. You know, this is, maybe this is all you've heard, but this is who you are in me. Simon could have gone on to be just another fisherman, but in God, his story completely changed. He was at the middle of that carrot cake, and it wasn't about him. It's about God's glory, but that's what he does in each of us. He pulls us into his story, and we get to be a part of that. Let him rename you this morning. Let him choose that identity for you. Don't push to find that identity in your own strength. Don't strive. You know, we live in a world that is obsessed with making a name for ourselves. 
you know, making sure we've, we've made it, making sure we've got enough to do this or being recognized. Let God do the identification. Let him give you a new name. Cool. Number two, uh, number three, running out of time a little bit, so I'll just get through these. Number three is when we come to Christ, he shows us a new way, a new way of life. And I love how Nathaniel comes to Jesus uh, and he, he just says, you know, what good can come from Nazareth? Uh, but Philip, I love the way that Philip's part of this. Let me just read out the text. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said, we found him, Jesus, the one that Moses wrote about, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come from there? And Philip said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And again, we have this encounter, this come and see Jesus. Come and experience him. But when he says the one that Mo- Moses wrote about and the son of Joseph, there's something happening here. He's, he's talking about this Jesus who all the Old Testament is pointing towards, but he's also saying Jesus who's just from down the road, this Jesus guy, the son of the carpenter, this Nazarite. And in doing this, he's, he's identifying Jesus as fully God, fully God, the fulfillment of all this stuff, and yet fully man, this human being. And I think when we recognize Jesus' divine origin, something takes place. If you're, if you're not a Christian here today, I encourage you, consider the claims of the Bible. Consider who Jesus was. Jesus did good things, yes. He was moral. He taught about those things. He healed. He did a lot of good for society. He did amazing things. But he's much, much more than that. He's God. He is very life itself. Nothing in this life makes sense without him. John's Gospel says, Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no way to God except through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven except through him. But if you are a Christian here this morning and you think, yeah, that's great. I believe all that stuff. That's awesome. Does our life reflect that belief? Are we doers of the word or hearers only? If God is who he professes to be, Is he the Lord of our life? Is he the Lord of our money? Is he the Lord of our marriage, of our thought life, how we spend our time? Is he God of the things that we live in this life? Is he the God of how we parent? Is he the God of how we do conduct business? Is he the Lord of our life? Anyway, I love how Nathaniel responds. He says, what good can come from Nazareth? I looked up that that scripture in different commentaries, and really people were confused about why he actually said that. The one that I liked the best, there was lots of reasons. The one that I really loved is one just said that it was a local town proverb. It's kind of like saying, if you're born from overseas, um, you may or may not understand that. But if you're from Auckland, you'll know that if you go to another part of New Zealand on holiday and you start talking about Auckland, they'll just look at you like, oh, you're from Auckland. If you go to Christchurch, it just goes up and up. The level of hatred, oh, you're from Auckland. I don't know what it's like in Invercargill, but, you know, it must be bad. Anyway, if you're from Auckland and you go to another part, there's this kind of inner, you know, rebuke oh, from Auckland. Whereas if you're from Queenstown and you're an Aucklander, you're like, yeah, Queenstown. In fact, any other part of New Zealand, we just love it as Aucklanders. He's from Nazareth, he says. What good can come from Nazareth? I just, I love it because I get it. He's just getting at the sense of like, oh, nothing good comes from Hamilton. Nothing good comes from Whangarei. Like, I love Whangarei. Sorry, Dan. Good things come from Whangarei. But there's this kind of, there's this real, there's just this humanness to Jesus. Like, Jesus, what? He's from Nazareth. 
fully God and fully man. He wasn't some hybrid thing. He was both. He was both and. And I think when we understand this, when we grasp this, we see this thing happening. Jesus has come in the flesh. He's come to represent us. He's come as a baby. He's come at Christmas time to, to, to bear the sin of the world. And he came in all of our weakness, in our flesh as a baby, vulnerable, open to, to cold and drought, open to the things of this world. And yet he came into our story. And I love this response. Philip doesn't answer him. He just says, come and see. Just come and check it out for yourself. I can't be bothered explaining. Just come and see. And again, we see this thing. We need to encounter Jesus. But all through the story, you see this invitation, the sense of come and see. You know, you're invited to this. You're part of this. And that's just one thing I want to touch on this morning is that as we come to Christmas, there's this invitational aspect that I believe we need to start living and breathing more and more. And the, and the text teaches us we've got to be inviting people to Jesus. We've got to live this life with a sense of who does not know Christ and who am I bringing to Jesus? Who am I bringing? It's not just a story for me and my God and that's all. No, no, I need to bring people into this. If you look on your seat, we put them out this morning, but if you can grab one of these, this is just a very uh, easy low step approach of inviting someone to something that's happening at Christmas. And we're going to be doing this walkthrough this year in church. Everything's going to be rearranged and the whole place is going to be set up as a walkthrough with different things happening. But I would encourage you, who in your life are you inviting to something at church? And this is just an easy way to do that. Maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, uh, something like that, you know, and just saying, actually, we can all do something. And when we, when we come to this Christmas time, I think it's easy to pass by, enjoy the celebration, sing the hymns, and forget that there's people that need Jesus in your life today. There's people that need the hope that is found in Christ. And as you pray for them, I encourage you, take this, take this use it, and uh, put it in someone's, you know, at the, the most easiest thing you could do is chuck it in someone's letterbox and then run home. It's the first step if you're worried about evangelism. Don't worry about it. They won't even know it's you. They're not going to scan it for fingerprints. Just do that. If you're a little bit bolder, talk with them. Say, hey, our church is putting this on. Why don't you come and check it out? Uh, not to dumb down coming to Jesus is all about this, but sometimes we just need encouragement to do one thing this Christmas. So come and see. Lastly, as I wrap up, wrap up Christmas. <laughs> anyway, as we, <laughs> okay. as we come to the end of this, um, just one more thing. You know, he says to Nathaniel, here is a man who is in no deceit. There is no deceit. Remember Jacob. Remember Jacob. He was the deceiver. Deceiver, grasping the heel of his brother, even in the womb. He was this deceiver from birth, and that was his name. But he was renamed Israel. He was not a deceiver anymore. And here is Jesus talking to a Jewish man, and he's just renamed him. He's just renamed Simon to Peter, and he's saying, come, come and experience me. The sense of Jacob is now over. Here is this new Jesus. He's here to replace. The, the deception of Jacob, the deception of everything that was there is now replaced in Jesus. Everything that took place in Genesis is now getting fulfilled in this Jesus Christ. And I love this. This is the new Israel without a trace of Jacob in him. This is this new sense of God's creation, and not just for the Jews, but for anyone who comes to Christ. 
And that leads us to the foot of the cross. You know, Jesus dying on the cross for every single one, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He came to remove the sins and the trickery of our own hearts. The old is gone and the new has come. And lastly, we participate and we enjoy his presence. You know, I love how the story sort of finishes up. Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, and you will see even greater things than that. Truly, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, this is all imagery. This is, again, this is Jacob with this ladder. If you read in Genesis 25, 28, this ladder descends, and he sees angels going back and forth. And it's this imagery of God. Now Jesus has come. He is this link between heaven and earth. In Christ, we have this connection with God. Heaven has now come to earth. But I love how he says, you know, I saw you even before you came to me. I saw you under the fig tree. I remember a few years ago talking to someone I hadn't seen in a while. And as we got talking, they were talking with me and they said, oh, and it's great to see that Katie's been doing this and this and this. Oh, man, your kids been great to see how they do this and this. And I love what's happening at your church and this. And I thought, how do you know all this stuff about me? And they said, oh, it's okay. I keep up with your life on Facebook. It's awesome. I see everything that's happening. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. And it's almost like someone's been watching in. It's probably my own fault. But a lot of it is like this almost like they know what's happening. But on the other hand, if you think about it, there's a part of you that says you have no idea what's happening. Yeah, you might have seen a picture, but you have no idea what was happening in those moments or experienced in those moments. When Jesus says, I saw you before you even came to me, he's not saying I saw snapshots of your life like someone watching us on Facebook. No, no, he's saying I was there with you. I was in the presence. I was there beside you. And I think that's a great reminder that no matter what we've been facing this year, as we come to an end of the year, you've, maybe you've been facing troubles in your own life. Maybe you've been facing hardships. Maybe there's stuff happening in relationships. Maybe your work has just been chaotic or there's things happening in your health. God is not just chiming in every now and then. He's there. He sees it. He's part of it. His presence is there. He sees what's happening. And just like Nathaniel, he's saying to you, I saw you. I saw when that happened. I saw the moment that took that injustice that happened to you. I saw it, and I was there. I haven't turned my face from it. He sees that stuff that's happening in our lives, and he's with us. His presence, like these angels coming and going, he's there right with us. And as we come to Christmas this year, we have to remember Christ, Emmanuel, Jesus, God is with us, and He's with His church, and He's given us the Holy Spirit, and He's here to be glorified in this. And maybe, Ben, do you want to just come up for a moment? And just as I finish up, you know, I love uh, Nathaniel's response. He says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And I just think there's great power when we declare, when we make declaration of who God is. You know, when we praise God, I don't think Nathaniel even really knew what he was saying. I don't think he quite comprehended who Jesus would go on to, what he would go on to do and be and fulfill. But he said those words, you're the, you're the son of God, you're the king. As we praise God, we welcome the Holy Spirit. As we lift our voices, as we give God the glory, God becomes, you know, just the, the Holy Spirit starts to fill our lives. God begins to show us his way. God begins to make his home, his staying, his permanence 
with us, despite everything we may have been going through or facing. So even if you don't fully comprehend what God is doing in your life, even if you can't comprehend why things are happening, choose to praise God. Choose to worship Him. At this Christmas time, choose to praise and sing and glorify God in the midst of the the trees and the presents and everything else. Praise God, because in our praise and in our declaration, we make room in our hearts for Christ to come. Jesus has come. Heaven has touched earth. God is here. He is to be encountered and experienced. Why don't we stand this morning?